You're listening to Interviews with Adam. I'm your host, Adam Miller, and today we are joined once again by Todd Nettleton, who is with Voice of the Martyrs, a ministry that helps us uh, stay in touch with what's happening with our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, many of them suffering in chains. There's a lot of fear here in the United States about our freedoms being taken away, but these are countries, there are places around the world where there are absolutely no freedoms available to Christians. It's important for us to know not only to be encouraged encouraged by their uh, faith, but also to be uh, in prayer for them and their boldness to proclaim the gospel. Todd, it's always a privilege to have you with us, and uh, thank you for joining the Many Voices for that one message. Well, thank you, Adam. It is always a pleasure for me to be with you, because I know this is something that's on your heart, and I know it's on your listeners' hearts as well, so thanks for taking the time to have me on. It does seem whenever we have you on, there's uh, very rarely, there's always a spotlight where we have a little bit of a glimmer of hope with a a prisoner being released and uh, uh, someone who's being reunited with their family. But so often we're talking about what is often a very tense uh, situation around the world, and it seems to be that position again. There's a lot of frustration, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of animosity around the world, and it's starting to affect a lot of uh, even Americans in the kind of global stress that we're experiencing. What's happening around the world? You know, it does seem like there is just a lot of upheaval right now, and some of it is political. You know, we have elections that are going on in India. That's, uh, you know, 900 million potential voters. That's a huge uh, exercise in democracy, but it's also a a key, hopefully, turning point for the nation of India. Uh, You've got a, a coup that just happened in Sudan, as it seems like all over the world, there's just so much going on. And many of these things affect our Christian brothers and sisters. Uh, you know, you, you think about the election in India, well, that's a political story. But no, for our brothers and sisters who live there, that is very significant to them about what what's religious freedom going to look like? What are Christians going to be treated like in India over the next five years? So These stories are political, they are news, but they also affect our brothers and sisters that live in these countries. You know, I think it's easy for us to have this Western mindset about how politics work and uh, their kind of design, but we're even starting to see that unravel in some sense in just kind of a, a crazy, it seems that every new day comes with new challenges. Uh, but we're talking about countries where the politics are not so clearly defined and not equally uh, treating everyone on the same level. A lot of these countries have actually made laws that are anti-Christian, Correct. That's true. And there are sometimes there are laws on the books that say, like in India, you cannot convert, you cannot change your religion. Uh, Sometimes the law or the Constitution says, oh, yeah, we have freedom of religion. Uh, But then if you actually try to practice your religion or if you try to tell someone else about your faith and, and maybe talk to them about Jesus, well, oh, yeah, we have freedom of religion, except when you do that. You can't you can't do that. Otherwise, though, you're free. And what they really mean is you're free as long as you do what we want you to do, as long as you do what we tell you to do. Uh, I, I think of China, for instance. China, the Constitution promises religious freedom. Well, in the last several months, they've closed four very major house churches in China, and, and literally the police have come in and said, uh, you're done. You're not going to meet anymore. Well, where is that constitutional guarantee? Obviously, the Communist Party is not respecting that. So, Sometimes there are are overt laws that say things like you cannot change your religion, 
sometimes the law says the right stuff, but the government ignores it and goes ahead and persecutes our brothers and sisters anyway. You mentioned uh, the elections taking place in India, and this is pretty significant. It's uh, more about poli- more than politics. There, there's going to be some things on the ticket that are uh, concerning for many believers that are in India. What's taking place uh, on the ticket for, for their election? Well, the current Prime Minister of India, Prime Minister Modi, was elected during the last national elections there, and his his background is in the uh, radical Hindu nationalist movement. Uh, the political movement there is called the RSS. And uh, what he believes and what his government has espoused is to be Indian is to be Hindu. And if you're in India, you should be a Hindu. Uh, so what does that mean for Christians? What does that mean even for Muslims? Well, you're not welcome here. Uh, and what has happened is persecution has ramped up, and the government has essentially turned a blind eye to it. Uh, A a pastor now who is beaten, in many cases we've heard the pastor gets arrested after he's beaten up by radical Hindus, and he gets accused of of causing disharmony in, in the community there. You know, you're the pastor, you've just been beaten but we're going to arrest you, not the guys who beat you, and blame you for causing disharmony. That's the philosophy, and that those kind of actions are uh, smiled upon by the RSS government of Prime Minister Modi. So right now we have national elections going on. We'll, we'll find out the results within the next couple of weeks. And the Christians are watching that saying, is it going to be five more years of, of what we have had? Are they going to be even more emboldened now after winning a second election? What is this going to look like? Or is India going to change direction? And are the Indian people going to say, wait a minute, we want a government that respects everybody's rights to follow whatever religion they choose, be it Hinduism, be it Islam, be it Christianity. We want a government that's going to respect religious freedom. That that vote is taking place right now, and we'll know the results soon. So I hope people will pray for that election process. Uh, you know, I mentioned 900 million potential voters. Uh, that's a huge process. They've actually had different days over the last several weeks to try to keep it organized and keep it moving forward. Uh, but let's pray for godly leaders to be in positions of influence in India after these election votes are counted. And this is one of the largest growing populations in the world and uh, one of the a really struggling uh, economy as well. So there's a lot of tension on the ground, but what is, what is the reason that Christianity is being singled out? Why is that uh, a target when there are so many other issues that need to be addressed within their culture? You know, it, that's a great question because you, Christians are typically not troublemakers. They're they're not bad citizens, uh, and yet they are blamed for many of the of the problems, uh, or they're blamed for spreading religion. One of the key things in India is this whole idea of conversion, and several of the different states in India have actually passed at the state level anti-conversion laws, which basically say. Uh, you cannot change your religion. You cannot entice someone else to change their religion. And the the good side of that law is we don't want people to be bribed to follow a different religion. Uh, and that's kind of how the law is written. But how it works on the ground is if you're telling someone about Jesus, if you're passing out Bibles, wait a minute, whoa, 
you're trying to get them to change their religion. That's against the law. And one of the things that I, I found out just not very long ago about this law is uh, you have to get permission in advance to talk to someone about their faith. Uh, so, so like you have to go into the police station and say, okay, in six months, uh, I'm going to sit down with Charlie and I'm going to have a conversation with him about changing his religion and following Jesus Christ. Well, how do we know who we're going to talk to six months from now? How could you even follow that law? Uh, but that's then, you know, then if, if they find you sitting down with Charlie, they're like, wait a minute, you didn't come in and check with us. You didn't get the permission ahead of time. You broke the law. We're going to have to take you to jail. And so, this has, has really tried to put a chilling effect on evangelism efforts, on passing out Bibles, on uh, good Christian outreach activities have now sort of been on the, on the shady side of that law, and Christians are nervous about that. They're nervous about what it means to share their faith, and so that's a key thing. Another thing that has been key over the last five years under the administration of Prime Minister Modi is many, many foreign Christians have found themselves no longer welcome in India. Their their visa, when it expires, that doesn't get renewed. Maybe when they apply for a visa to come, they don't get one. They're not allowed to come and visit or come and live. Uh, and so foreign Christians have been affected by this government as well. And again, we wait to see what happens in these elections to know, is, is India going to continue in that direction? Or are they going to pull in in more favorable direction to religious freedom and to uh, really liberty uh, for people to decide and choose and act on their religious beliefs as they see fit? And when someone breaks one of these laws, it's not like a slap on the wrist or a fine. Uh, these can pay some pretty heavy penalties. And I think that that's one of the big shockers to most in our Western civilization about how many uh, Christians and pastors and missionaries are actually in prison uh, for doing nothing other than sharing their faith. Uh, tell us a little bit about really those who have been imprisoned all around the world in multiple different countries uh, for their Christian beliefs. Well, you're right. In India and in other ca- other countries, there is a price to be paid uh, for for doing Christian work. And and again, it's it's normal. It should it should be, in my opinion, it should be normal Christian activity. We gather together for worship. We talk to other people about Jesus. That that shouldn't be just the the radical Christians that do that. That's normal Christianity. And so. But we see it in China. We see it in Indonesia. We see it in many countries. I, I think of uh, Asia Bibi, the, the wife and mother who, even though the Supreme Court in Pakistan last fall said the case against her was false, there's, the guilty verdict is, is thrown out, she still has not been allowed to leave Pakistan. And the government says, yeah, we're keeping her safe, and she'll be out soon. Uh, but our understanding as of today is she is still in Pakistan. Her life is still in danger as long as she's there. Uh, and that was over a conversation with her coworkers about Jesus Christ. Uh, that led to a blasphemy charge. That led to more than nine years in prison. Uh, and like I say, even though the Supreme Court said these charges were baseless, she is still there and has not been allowed to leave. That's reality. I, I think of Eritrea. I had the chance to visit Eritrea, and uh, actually some of the pastors that I met when I was there are in prison and have been in prison for more than 14 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, 14 years in prison 
simply for being a pastor, for gathering believers together and ministering to them. Uh, that is an incredibly high price to pay for following Jesus Christ. But like you say, it's reality uh, in many of the countries around the world, and especially many of the countries where Voice of the Martyrs is working. Now, you recently just interviewed the wife of a pastor who's in prison. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, that interview and uh, that those kind of the specifics? I want to encourage people. This is a, an interview we did on our VOM Radio podcast with uh, the lady's name is Susanna Ko. Her husband is a pastor in Malaysia, Pastor Raymond Ko. Uh, and a little over two years ago, he was abducted off the streets. Uh, and they actually, there's a security camera video that's online. You can go and watch it. Uh, the abduction, he was driving in his car. It involved uh, three SUVs, uh, two other cars, and two other motorcycles, a total of 15 men, and the whole thing took 40 seconds. Uh, and in more than two years since then, Pastor Raymond Coe has not been seen or heard from. His car has never been found. So he disappeared, his car disappeared, and it's now two-plus years later, and nobody knows what happened to him. Nobody has said what happened to him. I had the chance to interview his wife, Susanna, and uh, the, the interview, I, like I say, I want to encourage people to go listen because she tells her story better than I do, obviously. But, but what comes through is, man, we really miss, I really miss my husband. My, my children really miss their father. We, we worry about him. We wonder every day where he is. But the other thing that comes through is God has been so faithful to us over the last two years. God has sustained us. God has empowered us to go through this time. And she talked about a couple of things. She talked about the, the letters and cards that she's received from Christians around the world and how meaningful that has been and what a blessing that has been to her. The other thing she talked about, she talked about the, the scripture, but she also talked about Christian music and how she will put on praise and worship music when she has those dark days where she's just worried about her husband and, and missing him and concerned and even sometimes angry about you know, who would take him and why did they take him? She will put Christian music on and sing along with that and worship the Lord. And, and she talked about how that, that changes her spirit, that changes her outlook and, and strengthens her to go forward into that day. Uh, but really amazing story of, of here's a lady whose husband disappeared. She doesn't know where he's at uh, more than two years ago. And yet she testifies that God has sustained her through those two years and has carried her and her family. Uh, amazing, amazing testimony. And like I say, I would encourage people, find VOM Radio Podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and find that interview with Susanna Coe, uh, because she has an amazing story to tell. It seems that uh, persecution takes on different forms in different parts of the world. We've talked a little bit about the kind of election and the political process that is uh, turning against Christians in India, as well as many of the uh, Islamic countries that have really sought out to persecute uh, uh, Christians and to blame them for blasphemy and put them in prison. Uh, but l let's look at the, the Central Africa, where it just seems to be a Wild West upheaval where there is no real central control. It's constantly transforming, and we hear, hear very, very little about it. What's happening in the continent of Africa with Christians and their persecution? Well, there's a couple of, of significant things that have happened in Africa over the last couple of weeks. Uh, one is in Nigeria. 
more attacks on Christian villages, more Christians being killed, uh, their houses burned to the ground, uh, and the Nigerian government doesn't seem to be able or willing uh, to to provide protection, to really put a stop to these kinds of attacks. The other thing that has happened that's very significant in, in the eyes of a lot of Voice of the Martyrs people uh, is the coup in Sudan and the fact that Omar al-Bashir has gone from the presidential palace to now being in jail. Uh, I've been at Voice of the Martyrs for 21 years. Uh, Omar al-Bashir has been the dictator in Sudan for all of those years, plus some. He almost 30 years in power in Sudan, uh, a record of actively persecuting the church, actively persecuting Christians. Uh, my own co-worker, Peter Yasek, spent 14 months in prison in Sudan under Omar al-Bashir's government. Uh, and so the the big question now, as we look at, at the church in Sudan, as we look at our brothers and sisters there, is, okay, what does this mean for them? And uh, at this point, we don't know. We have a lot more questions than answers. Uh, Omar al-Bashir is gone, but as as we're having this conversation, uh, the military is still in control, and uh, the military is led by people who have worked right alongside Omar al-Bashir over the last 30 years. So how much is it going to change as far as religious freedom? How much is it going to change as far as how Sudan treats the church under these so-called new leaders who, who, like I say, have been in positions of influence for a long, a long time. Uh, those are questions that we're asking. Those are certainly things that we're praying about because we hope for a new day in Sudan. We hope for more religious freedom. We hope for churches not to be torn down anymore by the government. Uh, but we will see in the, in the weeks and months to come if, if that becomes reality uh, or if there is a new leader that, that also shares some of Omar al-Bashir's Islamist uh, philosophy. Now, Sudan had been through a, a huge civil war and actually is divided now, correct? There's a, a dividing yep, line. Yep, that's correct. Uh, where the Christians, a South Sudan yep. and a North Sudan. And, and the Christians have kind of taken the South, and, and that leaves Northern Sudan as uh, a really strong Islamic state. Uh, what is the prospect of, of really seeing a settled and... Uh, uh, kind of grounded uh, understanding of Sudan in the future. Is this a possibility? Is this something that uh, you at Voice of the Martyrs are are seeing positive turns in that direction? You know, at this point, it's too early to tell. Uh, we, we know that the government is out. The, the military has said we'll have elections in an up, up to two years. Uh, and at that point, we'll transition to some kind of a civilian-controlled government uh, I've seen reports this week that the African Union has said, no, we're not going to wait two years. Let's do it in two weeks. Uh, you know, obviously, putting on a national election with two weeks notice is a pretty significant undertaking. Um, so there are just so many questions right now about, you know, what's going to happen. And, you know, keep in mind, even with free elections, uh, the majority of Sudan's people are Muslims. Mm -hmm. They could elect and vote in a government that was strongly Muslim in its philosophy. And one of my coworkers here at Voice of the Martyrs reminded me of uh, the Arab Spring in Egypt. And President Mubarak was overthrown, was pushed out of office. Uh, everyone celebrated. They had national elections. 
uh, and the Muslim Brotherhood won the elections and took power. And so, uh, yes, Mubarak was gone, but it actually, there was a government in place that was less friendly to Christians after that. We hope that's not how it goes in Sudan, but like I say, at this point, it's so early, we just don't know what to expect. You know, these are such a difficult and trying times, and it seems like there's a lot of uncertainty on the radar, and you, you think you kind of gain a little bit of progress, and we saw so many ways in which China was uh, lessening its grip on the church and allowing churches to flourish, and we're seeing so many great things happening in China. But now, all of a sudden, it seems like they're coming down on the church. Uh, what's going on in China, and what's kind of behind all of it? Well, I'm glad you brought up China, because it has changed dramatically in the last uh, even 16, 17 months. Um, several things happened last year that, that play into this. Uh, one of them is they put into effect a new law on religion, which reminded everybody that the government, the Communist Party, wants to control every aspect of Chinese culture and society. They want to control every aspect of religious expression. Uh, and then later, just about a year ago now, uh, President Xi Jinping was given what amounts to a lifetime contract. He can stay and be president as long as he wants. They have abolished term limits. Uh, and he has really been the driving force uh, in these changes to the way religion is administered and in this crackdown on the church. So first you got a new law and then you got the guy behind the law who can stay in power as long as he wants. That sent a pretty chilling signal to the church. And uh, in the last several months, four major house churches, some of them have run as high as a thousand people on a weekend. So these are not, you know, 12 people in the living room. This is a major church have been closed down by the government. And one of them, the, the government came in and said, we want to put in uh, cameras on your platform facing the congregation. And the pastor knew, you know, they put cameras on our platform facing the congregation with the facial recognition software that the Chinese government has. They're going to know exactly who's in church every Sunday. They're going to know everything that's said in our church every Sunday. They're going to know if the people who are sitting in the crowd are really participating. Are they watching? Are they? And the pastor, like like I hope my pastor would, said, "No, we're not going to have you put cameras on our platform." And the government said, "Okay, well you're done then. You you can't meet anymore." That's one example of one of these four major churches that has been closed down. The other thing, though, it, and it it really gets to the level of being creepy. One of, one of my coworkers was meeting with Chinese Christians earlier this year, uh, and he heard that teachers are being told to ask their students, and, and as young as second graders, ask your students about their parents' religious activities. Ask your students, hey, do your parents, you know, do you guys get together and read the Bible in the evening? Do you meet with other Christians? Oh, where do you have those meetings? How many other Christians are at those meetings? So they are literally using second graders as spies against their own parents to suss out who is the Christians and who are not. Who are the families that we have to worry about that we don't trust as the communist government? Uh, when you think about that level of control and that level of effort to figure out who the Christians are and who they aren't, uh, you see how things are going in China, and you see the, the negative direction that China has moved in recent months. 
You know, it's interesting when we look at our, our Western civilization, everything that we're doing is uh, surveyed. I mean, I mean, the government is seeing everything. Uh, we have private companies, Google, Facebook, Apple. They see everything that we're doing, and it doesn't even cross our radar as a threat. But here in China, uh, they're over being analyzed. Everything that they're doing is being watched. Uh, and it really is impeding upon their their freedom of religion, their freedom to worship. Uh, we can't even wrap our minds around how uh, invasive that kind of those kind of policies actually are. We can't. And another thing that my coworker heard when he was over in that part of the world is the the, the Chinese government is is putting up security cameras all over the entire country. Their goal is to be able to identify and locate anyone within three seconds. Uh, so they will have these camera feeds feeding into some kind of computer that's monitoring it all, and they want to be able to locate anyone in three seconds. Uh, imagine if you're trying to deliver Bibles secretly to a church in China, uh, and, and you know you're being watched. You know that the cameras are all over the place. How are you going to do that? How are you going to make that Bible delivery? How are you going to get that material out? If you're a visiting pastor, how are you going to go and visit uh, a church in a different part of China when the government is facially recognizing everybody on the train, everybody on the bus? Uh, they know exactly where everybody is. Um, those types of things make secret Christian work very, very difficult uh, and and probably should give all of us a little bit of pause about the, the technology and the power that a government can exert using that technology. Well, it certainly is uh, disconcerting to see what's happening around the world and see so many challenges for Christians to simply worship and practice their faith and to share their faith out of love for their neighbor. Uh, what are some things that our listeners can do in response? How can our listeners uh, be better engaged at what's happening around the world, uh, pray for our brothers and sisters, uh, and get more information that will guide those prayers? Well, the, the first thing, and I'm glad you mentioned it, is prayer. And that's not just me talking. That's our brothers and sisters that we serve. When we go and visit them and say, okay, we're, we're going back to America we're going to talk to people. We're going to put out our monthly newsletter. We're going to speak in churches. What can American Christians do for you? The first response that they give is pray for us. Uh, and it's not a prayer request. And this is the part that's really challenging to me. It's not a prayer request that, well, would you pray that our government falls down and we have freedom and that no more suffering happens to us? Uh, instead, it's a prayer request that will you pray that we'll be able to be faithful in spite of the government, in spite of the persecution, that we can serve the Lord wholeheartedly, uh, regardless of, of what it might cost us. Uh, so that would be my, my first challenge, is to pray for our brothers and sisters who are persecuted. Voice of the Martyrs has lots of resources to help with that. Uh, if you come to persecution.com, we've got a free monthly newsletter that we send out, we actually have an app for your smartphone that will help you get a new prayer request every day. Uh, we have a site that you can get emails with prayer requests each week. Uh, so we want, that's, that's one of the key parts of Voice of the Martyrs ministry, is equipping American Christians to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. So that would be my first thing, is to pray. Uh, and, and like I say, if you want to know more, persecution.com is the main VOM website. 
Uh, from there, you can get to these prayer resources. You can get to Voice of the Martyrs Radio and, and hear some of the stories of the people you're praying for. Uh, and, and that's a great way to do it. The other thing that I would ask people uh, to consider sponsoring a Bible. Uh, one of the, the I talked about the first request they have is pray for us. The second request is, is there any way you can help us get more Bibles? Uh, and so we are doing that and uh, delivering full printed Bibles. We're delivering audio Bibles. We're delivering illustrated Bibles for young people or for the less literate. Uh, and so I would encourage people, and again, you can come to persecution.com and be a part of this, help us get Bibles into all of these countries and into the hands of brothers and sisters who might otherwise never have a Bible. A lot of ways to get involved and a lot of ways to help our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are suffering in chains. Uh, Pray for them, support them, and encourage them with the Word of God. We're so blessed by it every single day. Make sure that uh, they have it in their own hands, in their own language. It means the world to them. It's always a privilege to talk to you, Todd. Thank you so much for being a part of the many voices uh, for that one message and keeping us updated uh, on the ministry of Voice of the Martyrs. Well, thank you very much for having me, and it's always great to be with you. We hope you enjoyed this interview made possible by our ministry at Songtime Radio. You can find out more information about our ministry by visiting our website at songtime.com, where you can find this and other interviews on our podcast series, as well as our weekday broadcast, which includes teaching, interviews, and music. We also want to encourage you to sign up for our free monthly newsletter. It's got encouraging articles, and there is no obligation to find out more information about our ministry. Again, visit our website at songtime.com. This ministry is made possible by people just like yourself. We are 100% supported by our listeners. So if you have been blessed today, why not join with the many voices together for that one message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, with your donation to the Songtime ministry. To make a donation, you can do so online at our website at songtime.com, as well as by mail. Write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call. Make a donation over the phone. It's 508-362-7070. On behalf of our entire Songtime staff and our own Dr. John DeBrine, the founder here at Songtime, who encourages you to grow in grace and not groan in disgrace, from Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller. God bless. God bless.